Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. And blessings. And welcome to another installment of the history of freedom and state. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author, Leslie Gist, and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people past and present, black and white, who with faith and focus are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. To you out of Kansas City, Missouri, where I am a genealogist. Joining us later will be our guest, uh, Melinda Wadi Thibodeau out of Texas, who is a an acclaimed actress and uh, historian uh, specializing in uh, Juneteenth history and Buffalo soldiers and uh, amongst other things. And uh, speaking of the Buffalo soldiers, uh, she'll talk more to us about that when she gets on. Uh, the Buffalo soldiers made up the 9th and 10th Calvary, United States Calvary, uh, named the Buffalo soldiers by Native Americans because of the texture of their hair, which reminded them of uh, the buffalo herds, so they became known as the buffalo soldiers. Uh, they distinguished themselves uh, in many wars, uh, the Indian Wars, the Spanish-American War, uh, the Philippines, Mexican border wars, and amongst that group, there were 19, you hear what I said, 19 Congressional Medal of Honor winners amongst the Buffalo soldiers. Uh, really uh, not given their due historically. Uh, and uh, But here tonight we're going to get some insight into that. Uh, also, you might be reminded there was a gentleman by the name of Yanga, Y-A-N-G-A, who was an enslaved African and uh, was taken on the role of spiritual and military leader. And he ran, uh, led a rebellion against the Spanish colony, uh, slavers in the 16th century, and fought off attempts to uh, retake the settlement. And he led one of uh, colonial Mexico's first successful slave uprisings and would go on to establish one of the America's earliest three black settlements. He, uh, Gasper, uh, structured an agricultural community in an ordered capacity, allowing the growth and occupation of various uh, uh, locations. 
He was also rumored to be of uh, royal lineage from West Africa, uh, although he was enslaved, an enslaved worker in the sugarcane plantations of Veracruz, uh, Mexico. And it was about 1570 that he, along with a group of followers, escaped. Uh, they fled to a mountainous regions there in Mexico, Cordoba, and established a settlement of former slaves, or Planican as they were called. And uh, they got there and remained there virtually unmolested by the Spanish authorities for nearly 40 years. And uh, again, he was taking on the role of spiritual and military leader there in that community, uh, allowing its growth and the growth of other uh, occupations at various locations in uh, Mexico. And um, so we're still waiting for Melissa Whiting Thibodeau to join us here on the Gift of Freedom. Uh, I'll mention that phone number again that you can call us on, 347-324-5552. Okay. We'll get it back here to Mr. Yanga, um, the Mexican leader who was rumored to be of uh, royal blood and who was a former slave in Mexico. They were also known as Chimarangos, and they were implicated in the disruption and the looting of uh, trade routes uh, along the Camino, Camino Royal or the Royal Road between Veracruz and uh, Mexico City. And they were perceived as dangerous to the colonial system of slavery. Uh, they were very daring with their actions against royal commerce and authority. Spain's new viceroy called for the annihilation of Yanga and his community. And believing that destroying that community and its leaders would send a message to other would-be rebellious slaves Spain's authority over them was absolute. And that was a fatal mistake in terms of the absolute authority. However, in 1609, uh, Spanish authorities, they sent a, a well-armed militia to uh, defeat Yanga, but instead they were defeated. Uh, Yanga's surprised victory over the Spanish heightened the confidence of his warriors and frustrated the leadership of Mexico City. And he defeated other Spanish forces sent against him. He offered to make peace, but he had 11 conditions. The most important being recognition of the freedom of all his followers and residents prior to 1608. Acknowledgement of the settlement as a legal entity which Yanga and his descendants would govern and the prohibition of any Spanish in the community. In exchange for that, he in turn promised to serve and pay tribute to the Spanish crown. And a number of years, negotiations got under the way. And in 1618, 
the town of San Lorenzo de la Negros, was officially recognized by the Spanish authorities as a free black settlement. Later on, it would be referred to as Yanga, Y-A-N-G-A again, named for its founder. Now, marrying Mexico's history itself, most of Yanga's Afro-Mexican population has been pushed to neighboring rural villages that are notable primarily for their strikingly dark skin of their inhabitants. Uh, Mexico's independence from Spain and new focus on building a national identity on the idea of mixed race drove African Mexicans into invisibility as leaders, as leaders chose not to count them in the populations or assess their needs. Now, many blacks then wanted to fight back for improving the shoddy education and social services available to them and are petitioning for the Constitution to recognize Afro-Mexicans as a separate ethnic group worthy of special consideration. I want you to know that you can celebrate black history here 24-7 on the Gifts of Freedom. You can reach us through www.blackhistoryblog.com. The Gifts of Freedom, preserving American history through black literature, online radio, Okay, we're going to continue to discuss the Afro-American, or I'm sorry, Afro-Mexican contributions. And uh, because our young lady, our uh, guest, has not called in. And um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, black Mexican uh, history. And it was a black Mexican president, if you will, that ended slavery. And during the Civil War, the slavers uh, fled to, along with their blacks, and hid in Galveston, Texas. Uh, Vicente Guerrero, he was Mexico's first black uh, president, and he abolished slavery. And uh, he assisted escaping blacks and fought in Texas. And... um, as you know, that uh, Juneteenth had its uh, founding there in uh, the state of Texas. And uh, the Texas president, even Sam Houston, uh, once lamented that, quote, two valuable Negro boys for which I had paid in cash $2,100 previous to my visit to Nashville ran away last spring to Mexico. Thus, you can see, I'm in bad luck. That was Sam Houston, who was the president of Texas at the time. Now, just two and a half months uh, after Mexico abolished slavery, uh, officials uh, became uneasy about the numbers of new European Americans settling within Mexico, and they attempted to curb the number of newcomers 
so looks like we had an immigration problem even back there in Mexico with the Europeans flooding in there. So along about 1830, Co decreed that foreigners could not cross the border without obtaining a passport issued by Mexican agents. Now, here's the setup. Texans did not respect the Mexican border in their pursuit of freed blacks. In fact, in 1855, Captain James Callahan of the Texas Rangers entered Mexico in an attempt to recapture self-emancipated Africans. Callahan insisted that the purpose of his excursion was to pursue Indians rather than recapture fugitive slaves. The Mexican government, with the help of Native Americans, however, forced him to retreat and withdraw without any free blacks. So consequently, Mexico remained a place of amnesty. Thousands of self-emancipated Africans lived in uh, Mexico by uh, 1850 thereabouts. So in 1850, they pressured the federal government to set up border patrols. Yeah, we've got immigration in reverse here, don't we? Where the Mexican government pressured the federal government to set up border patrols, but there were few troops to assign uh, to patrol uh, this vast frontier. Uh, So it was not very successful. A lot of the slave owners also offered rewards of up to $200 to $600 for the recapturing of fugitives. Frederick Douglass even made a comment about this uh, slave catching there. And I quote Frederick Douglass, For my part, I would not care if tomorrow I should hear of the death of every man who engaged in that bloody war in Mexico and that every man had met the fate he went there to perpetrate upon unoffending Mexicans. There are three millions of, of us slaves in this land. I should welcome the intelligence tomorrow, should it come. Wow, Frederick Douglass. Finally, on June 19, 1865, freedom officially arrived in Texas. Uh, Union General Gordon Grange read the contents of General Order Number 3 and his proclamation announced, in part, quote, the people of Texas are informed that in accordance with the proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and property between former masters and slaves and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor. There was a gentleman by the name of Felix Haywood, who was a North Carolinian, born Texan. He called that summer day in 1865 when he heard of his emancipation while working on a camel ranch near San Antonio. And I quote, Soldiers, all of a sudden, was everywhere coming in bunches, crossing and walking and riding. Everyone was a-singing, 
We was all walking on golden clouds. Hallelujah. Nobody took our homes away, but right off, colored folks started on the move. They seemed to want to get closer to freedom so they'd know what it was like. If it was a place or a city. Yes, sir. Juneteenth. And again, it was a Mexico's black president ended slavery, fought Texas and enslaved, and aided enslaved uh, individuals who were escaping. Again, if you'd like to call in and have a comment or question, give me a call here at 347-324-5552. We're coming to you over www.blackhistoryblog.com. Here again, uh, we were supposed to talk a little bit about the Buffalo Soldiers. Uh, I just gave you some data there in terms of the wars that they were involved in. That was the 9th and 10th Cavalry, and they were involved in the Indian Wars, the Spanish-American War, Philippine-American War, and they were also involved in the Mexican border uh, wars. And in that group, and uh, if anybody knows anything about this or any descendants of the 19 Congressional Medal of Honor winners, give us a call here at 347-324-5552. Also, there were two officers... um, who are two Afro-Americans who made rank, uh, officer rank, with the Buffalo Soldiers, uh, Henry Flipper and Charles Young. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, Lincoln's role, President Lincoln here, his role in the emancipation And let me get something pulled up here in reference to uh, Abraham Lincoln's role. Lincoln and Juneteenth. So that's kind of what was going on on August 14th in 1862. And a deputation, or if you will, a delegation of free Negroes, prominent African Americans at the White House. And what was Lincoln's message to them? Okay, it wasn't, you shall be free. It was, it is better for us both to be separated. Okay? So Lincoln blames the war. He blames them for the war. And says, uh, Mr. Holzer, historian, explains, he says, if it wasn't for your presence here, as if it was voluntary in the beginning, this wouldn't be happening. Go where the ban is not up on you, he tells him. Go to the Caribbean. Go to Africa. Yeah, some pretty cool words, huh? Coming out of the president. Harsh word and unfriendly. 
So the delegation there, they in essence tell Lincoln to go to hell. That their roots and blood runs deeper in this American soil than it would in the soil of the Caribbean. And in response, and I quote, we appreciate your offer to send us to South America, Haiti, and so on to appease your white folks. But our bloodlines and ancestry in America is at least 200 years older than your own. America is home, and we are not leaving. How do you like me now, Mr. President? That delegation, a deputation of free uh, Negroes at the White House in that August uh, 1862 was led by Reverend Joseph Mitchell, Mitchell. And Mr. Mitchell was a commissioner of immigration for the Interior Department. And it was the first time that African-Americans had been invited to the White House on a policy matter. And there were five men there to discuss a scheme that a excuse me there that uh, contemporary individuals described as simply absurd resettling emancipated slaves on a 10,000 acre parcel of land in present day Panama that was the scheme other members of that uh, delegation were Edward M. Thomas John F. Cook, Cornelius C. Clark, John T. Custon, C-O-S-T-I-N, and Benjamin McCoy. And they were there again to debate his proposal for a black colony in Central America. Now, Clark were members of the Social, Civil, and Statistical Association this was a uh, black city-based organization, and the SCSA have thought or sought to banish several immigration promoters from Washington uh, weeks before the de- uh, delegation met with Lincoln. Many of the SCSA's members were connected with the prestigious 15th Street Presbyterian Church. And that historian that I mentioned earlier was Howard Holzer, H-O-L-Z-E-R. And you can hear a presentation by historian Harold Holzer on iTunes at www.itunes-es uh, backslash 16JV84H and get a bit of that history uh, right from uh, the historian Harold Holzer. So getting back um, to understand what Holzer calls the bitter pill of prejudice, and they say to Mr. Uh, telling that President uh, Lincoln had summoned newspaper reporters to that meeting, He wanted his message out. Now, Professor Holzer says what's important to keep in mind is that he had written 
the Emancipation Proclamation. It was languishing in a drawer or burning a hole in his pocket. He knew he was going to do this, but he wanted Northern Americans who were dubious about marching towards racial equality to be assured that he was not doing this for the black race. He was doing this for the Union to reunite the country, to defeat the rebellion. And he had no concern about blacks, their feelings, their resonance. He does not have his finger in the wind. So Lincoln was trying to mold public opinion to make the proclamation palatable. And Holzer says the president was waiting for the right moment. The Union victory on the battlefield, which finally came at Anatinum. Hope I said that right. So within a week of that victory, Lincoln ordered the rebellious states to obey this ultimatum within 100 days. Either return to your legal balance with the Union in this rebellion, or your slaves will be then henceforth and forever free. End of quote. And of course, there was an immediate backlash. And Lincoln's own Republican Party was punished at the polls in the 1862 elections. And on January 1, 1863, Lincoln was to issue the final decree at the White House. It was New Year's Day. And by tradition, there was a party. Holster goes on to say, and I quote, And Lincoln went downstairs early and began receiving guests. And the afternoon comes and goes, and African Americans are gathered in churches. Telegraph operators are already keyed up to bring the glorious news to the church whenever it arrived, and nothing happens. So I think we're going to leave it there. Um, And that last little piece that I was uh, giving you there was the start of watch night for a lot of black churches, a tradition still carried on today. Uh, on New Year's Eve when congregants gather in their churches waiting for the word. I want to thank you for listening. And if you're an author of black history or an artisan promoting black history, uh, please contact us. Wait a minute. I think our guest finally showed up. Um, Are you there, Melissa? Or do we have a caller? Yes, I'm here. Hello. Is that Melissa Waddy Thibodeau? Yes, it is. Oh, glad you could join us. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. Oh, I'm Preston hey. Washington. I'm your host here. I'm a yes. genealogist. And before we start um, on our interview here, I have a genealogy question I want to ask you. Yes, sir. Are you, related, can... are you related to the Thibodeaus out of Karen Crow, Louisiana? Well, By any chance? No, it, 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 there's a good chance I uh, acquired that name. Wadi is my father's name. Thibodeau oh, okay. is acquired, uh, but uh, you never know. And um, from my daughters researching that side of their father's history, uh, the grandfather's as far as they can go. Um, oh. His father was unknown. Uh, his mother, uh, I, uh, this was right after Reconstruction era. 
time, and so he could have passed as white. Um, Very so, good. You know, yeah, we we're not that far removed from slavery. <laughs> really, we're not. Um, but uh, I said that to say that the history gets um, when we can't track our ancestors for one reason or another. And the biggest reason I found is because of outside marriages, uh, outside connections, uh, different families. Um, you know, it's really, really hard. And the name changing and misspelling of names. and um, Exactly. Unfortunately, we can't go back, back any further than that, but now on my side, on the Wadi side, I'm researching, finding out that there was a, a U.S. district judge in Washington, D.C. by the name of Wadi back in, uh, I believe, the 40s. So I'm getting closer to finding out some truth. The family, uh, from what I understand, was taken from Tennessee all the way down okay. We were brought down here in Texas. Uh, some, I believe, were dropped off in Chicago. Who knows? You know, we could be cousins talking to each other. We wouldn't know. Our history that's is true. Yeah, it's that delicate. But uh, I, so, enjoy, I enjoyed listening to you. Well, thank you. You are a Juneteenth historian and actress or actor. How did uh, you get well, into... I call it reenactment. Reenactor, okay. A historical reenactment actor. All right. And what I do is uh, research and find stories to bring to life so that people will learn. Um, well, let me tell our uh, our listeners, and we probably have some younger listeners out there who might not fully understand Juneteenth. So, okay. could you describe how that came about and what what we mean by Juneteenth? Well, you you did a good job of it. Um, it's just referred to Juneteenth because June nineteenth was, uh, I guess, in the um, Negro vernacular back in the days, just scrolled all the way across Juneteenth, um, June nineteenth, but, but Juneteenth it just blended mm-hmm. together to become one word instead of June nineteenth, Juneteenth. But we all down here know that it is June 19th when the proclamation was actually read. Now, after it was read, they had the arduous duty of going to every plantation in the area and uh, forcing the plantation owners to let the people go. This took a while, you know. And as soon as the uh, Union Army left this area, after they figured everything was, everybody was free. Well, not really. As soon as they left and there was no law in this area, so people could do whatever they wanted. And uh, much like today, uh, there were trumped-up charges when um, a black man was found to steal a chicken or a pig to feed his family. He would get maybe... 15 to life <laughs> for doing that. And it was for a reason. That reason was called the convict leasing system. What was that called again? I'm sorry. The convict leasing system. Okay, convict leasing system. Okay. 
where they would use the convicts to do the same job the slaves were doing before. Mm -hmm. So So, um, a lot of the slavers uh, were trying to hide the slavers in Galveston, Texas. A lot of them, Galveston. Yeah, that was the booming area because it's a port, and that's where they brought in the slaves and, and brought in everything. Uh, the sugar industry became very big here. We have a place called Sugar Land, and that is where a lot of the sugar plantations were located. And the industry of sugar became soup. Boy, they made a lot of money. But a black man working in a in a sugar plantation field, you have to understand sugarcane grows in water and in that water and it grows to be very tall but in that water is swimming around water moccasins oh yeah any other other poisonous thing that could attack you and alligators and these black men were killed in the waters and they bring in more Um, it's not pretty history but uh, this is all the Texas story. Uh, well, what, what's your experience living there in that historical area? Is there a lot of <laughs> tourism and whatnot? I beg your pardon, what about tourism? Well, it, in terms of your experience, you're living there in a historical area, and is there a lot of tourism uh, coming through there? For one thing or another, yes. I wouldn't say for what we just discussed particularly. Okay. No. <laughs> uh, we have the Buffalo Soldier National Museum here. We we have uh, other museums, lots of museums. People come here for various reasons. We have NASA. We, you know, we have the uh, Energy Stadium, which, which is one of the largest stadiums that uh, opens up at the top. Uh, I think they call it a retractable ceiling. Yeah, a retractable roof or whatever. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. But no, people come here for a lot of different reasons. Uh, to ride a horse. <laughs> okay. But um, there's San Antonio. There's Austin, Texas. Uh, South South by Southwest is one of the biggest musical events in the world. They come from all over uh, for that. So Texas is a big state. It has a lot to offer. But at the same time, Texas had more slaves than any other slaves in the Union back during the Civil War days, during slavery. And uh, after doing some research today, we find that there are more, I would say, I would tend to say African-American men and women locked up in the state of Texas than there ever were slaves in the state. Oh, yeah, I think that's a given. Yeah. In the state of Texas. That that, that number has increased from slavery, though. Exactly. Uh, Melissa, can you share uh, an excerpt from your show and tell us about your shows that you um, put on? And give give us a little sample. Well, one of my most popular shows is The Resurrection of Harriet Tubman, uh, I call it for literacy. Uh, it is listed with the um, National Park Service, the Underground 
Railroad Network to Freedom Study, a study that was started back in the 50s, I believe. I'm, I'm not quite sure. To study all of the locations and stories and people involved in the story about the Underground Railroad. So my um, presentation, a one-woman presentation, was added to the MIST in 2004 to help teach about the subject, and that's what we do, uh, as well as her, uh, Rosa Parks, um, Sojourner Truth, um, Biddy Mason, uh, Barbara Jordan, uh, the Buffalo Soldier female, Kathy Williams, uh, and others, uh, Lavinia Bell, um, one that you'll never probably find in much less a, a history book in the school, maybe not in the library as well. I stumbled across this story out of Galveston, Texas, about a slave woman who made her way all the way to Montreal, Canada, from Galveston, Texas. It's, a, it's an awesome story. So I tell these stories, I bring them to life so that people can learn. And um, especially for those we know are not reading on the level they should be, um, it's an effort to get people to turn around. Harriet Tubman's story is turn around and help somebody to read. A simple task, but something that I I don't know why it's hard for people to do, but we're going to have to do something because we're losing out. Uh, illiteracy is just, it's, I see too much of it, and it's not necessary. We can we can avoid it. We can stop it. So Harriet Tubman comes to light with a message after looking down here on Earth for the last over little over 100 years now. She died in 1913, and uh, she's not quite uh, happy with what she sees. Way down in Egypt I got a telephone. You gotta let my people go. I'll be out there. His head took me. That's what they called me. Moses. I need a lot of folks up north. Got him free. I could have, I, I could have saved a thousand more though, if they just knew they were slaves. She, 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 they didn't know. It was just like babes. I had to conduct them. I, I had to show them which way to go. I remember first night I get my freedom. I ain't gonna never forget that night. See, I was a slave for Mr. Broders down there in Bucktown, Maryland. Bucktown, Maryland. That's where I'd be born with my mama, my pappy, Ben Ross. <laughs> he was a lumberman. He see things. He hear things. He he tell me about this river. Pappy said that river would take you all the way to up to up to the north to this place, uh, what's that what's that place? What's that place called? Oh, oh yeah, Canada. Y'all done heard about Canada, ain't you? <laughs> yeah. We called it the promised land. Cause when you get there, you was promised you're gonna be free. 
That's a little Harriet Tubman there. Wow. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, no problem, no problem. So uh, You know, you mentioned uh uh Biddy Mason. Yeah. Uh, yeah, could you tell our listeners a little bit more about uh uh Biddy? Now if I you know, I have all these people here, so sometimes I may get confused. You know, when I, I take one show at a time and I I focus on that and uh Biddy Mason was she was uh strong, strong black woman like a lot of these women I do are. Uh and if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, she's the one I don't want to get her confused with another I do. Her name was Stagecoach Mary. Okay. Stagecoach Mary actually ran the stagecoach uh, in the West, uh, Arizona area. When everyone was going west for the gold rush, she was making money. She was running stagecoach. <laughs> I have another lady that works as uh, when I need her. She'll come in and do Sojourner Truth. Uh, sometimes we'll pair up together and create a uh, conversation of what it would have been like between maybe Harriet and Sojourner. What would have they have talked about? Uh, Sojourner was uh, almost old enough to be Harriet's mother, uh, almost. Uh, they did know each other. They did meet each other. They did have words. Um, and then we go all the way to another lady I'd, I'd really like to mention, uh, in, in, in addition to Biddy Mason, uh, a lot of people might not have heard of her. Her name was Frances Ellen Watkins Harper. Lived this, along the same time as Harriet Tubman. Was born in the Baltimore area, not too far from Harriet Tubman, but led a totally different life. She was, mm-hmm. she was a poet and a writer and a speaker. She spoke so well, people didn't want to believe that she was actually black. Uh, Frances Ellen Watkins Harper. She wrote some profound poetry, prose, and I think she's someone we just skipped over. Nobody really talks about her, but she was amazing. Uh, Only because she had the opportunity to be free and to learn how to read and to write, something Harriet Tubman never got to do. So we try to compare these women. Harriet Tubman and Rosa Parks, uh, may put them together sometimes because Rosa Parks was was born the same year Harriet Tubman died. Oh, okay. It, it was like they passed. She passed the torch in a sense, but uh, Rosa was so so much more different than Harriet. She was very meek and quiet. She was a seamstress. She didn't talk a lot. She she definitely wasn't trying to lead anybody, and she definitely didn't want to be become the mother of civil rights like people uh, called her. She never really wanted that, and she was uh, threatened every day of her life hmm. uh, by letters and phone calls threatening her life, and she was the sweetest little woman. Uh, I, I tell you. You know, getting into some of these women's heads and trying to figure out what they might have felt and trying to bring that to life so that the audience can feel it and think about it 
and maybe actually be inspired to do something about it? Mm-hmm. Well, I was certainly inspired and, and could feel it uh, in that uh, presentation that you uh, gave us reference to Harriet Tubman. Do you have any upcoming events? Uh, and I, I need your contact information as well. Yes. Um, you can contact me at www.flyinggeese.org is the current website where you can see clips of the uh, performances. Um, we go all the way to Germany and uh, Hawaii, um, Belize, Central America with this show, uh, to um, army bases and universities all over. So we reach out to uh, the student activity departments. We, 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 we love to bring this to the colleges because the message is please turn around and help someone to read. And, and mm-hmm. I think the college, the college students are the ones to do this. They're, they're going to be leading the country. Uh, the high school is going to be leading this country soon. And uh, the thing that scares me and that we pray about, I had an 11th grader to come to me after a show and ask for help in reading. And um, it made me think about things. And how did she get that far without knowing the basics of reading? And a lot of a lot of the kids just call the words. They sound them out, and they call that reading. Uh, yeah. but, do, you have, do you have any immediate events coming up? Well, I'm here in the Houston area, and I'm performing each Friday and Saturday at the Buffalo Soldier National Museum here in Houston. Fridays okay. and Saturdays from 10 to 4. And I can be reached at 713-884-9655. The only uh, upcoming thing is in the city of Opelousas, Louisiana. Uh, That's in February, I believe February the 11th. Um, We'll be performing there at the convention center. Um, But we're getting bookings as we speak, so we'll we'll have to say refer to the uh, website. Okay, and give us that website again because we're getting close here, so we're going to have to close out. Give us that website one more time. www.flyinggeese, the two Gs come together, .org, flyinggeese.org. That is a quilt code on the Underground Railroad. And that phone number again is area code 713-884-9655. That's correct. Okay, I want to thank you, Melissa Wadi Thibodeau, for joining thank us you. here at the Gift of Freedom. It's been uh, my pleasure. And it's a pleasure having you, and perhaps we can get you back and uh, talk a little bit more about uh, some of your work and some of these characters that we've been talking about. Yes, sir, uh, and please, would you please send me an email? I'd love to continue our conversation. Okay, and right. uh, your email address? That's going to be W-A-D-D-Y-M-E-L at yahoo.com. W-A-D-D-Y-M-E-L at yahoo.com. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Are you on Facebook? Yes, sir. Okay. Can our uh, listeners uh, send you a friend request there? They can. Absolutely. All right. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much, and continue teaching. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the gift of freedom. Uh, I want you to know that these shows are archived and available on iTunes. Uh, get to www.blackhistoryblog.com. My name is Preston Washington. I've been your host. Um, and I want to say good night. Good night. You can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.